Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, June 13th, we're studying Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 13. In today's text, John sees three angels who bring messages from God concerning the eternal gospel, the fall of Babylon, and the wrath and torment that comes to those who worship the beast. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this returning guest, Pastor Joel Hawk. Pastor Hawk serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Fraser, Michigan. Pastor Hawk, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be with you, Pastor Apple. Thanks for having me again. So we're talking about the book of Revelation today, Pastor Hawk. Talk to us just in general about the book. How do we approach it as Christians so that it's a helpful and useful book to us? Uh, we approach it as we you know, approach all of Scripture. We, uh, as you've said in the intro, uh, we seek Christ crucified and uh, the way he's uh, at work uh, in our lives, in the world, in the church, and uh, how we can be uh, drawn to faith, uh, greater faith in him uh, through what we uh, what we hear and see in this book. Uh, sometimes with Revelation, that's a little bit uh, trickier, but if we have that as our as our guide, uh, we can uh, begin to see what uh, what our Lord would have for us. So talk to us a little bit about the context of where we are within that book. In chapters 12 and 13, we've seen the dragon, his two beasts. Chapter 14, I think, took us in a little bit different direction, but I think we're still attached to that same context. What should we know as we prepare to look at these verses? Yeah, I think so. We have uh, um, Mount Zion uh, pictured and the lamb with the 144,000 uh, with, with the lamb's name and the father's name on their foreheads. Um, and they, they, they hear this uh, voice from heaven, like a roar of many waters. Um, and, and we get the, the picture of those who are, are redeemed, uh, the, the, the whole church uh, with the Lamb. Um, and, and then we have this, uh, the, this, this picture for us of these three messengers, these three angels, um, with their announcements uh, that, uh, that show kind of the, the distinction between those who are, are pictured there with the church uh, and those who, uh, through, you know, not having faith in Jesus, um, are not part of those 144,000. Um, and instead, you know, kind of looking towards the, the, the post context of our, of our text, um, are part of the kind of harvest of the earth, uh, so to speak. And those who, uh, do not, uh, uh, do not come into, to Zion, uh, with our Lord. So we've been talking at various points along this study where texts happen to show up in the lectionary. There's not a ton, but there are some. In one of the years of the three-year lectionary in the season of Easter, you hear various texts from Revelation. And actually in the, the text yesterday, Revelation 14, 1-5 is the epistle reading for the feast day of the Holy Innocents. Now, today's text, Revelation 14, the first two verses, 6 and 7, show up for the feast of the Reformation, which I will be honest, Pastor Hawk, I'm I'm always a little confused by. So maybe you can enlighten me. What what does this text have to do with the revel with the Reformation? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because as you you know if, if you only hear it then and you if you focus on it then um you really don't uh, re- remember so to speak that that this is the first of three angels uh, in this text. This angel flying directly overhead. Um, and you don't pick up the full context to hear Revelation, but but I do think it was it was chosen. Um, because of the the eternal gospel 
uh, portion. The message of this angel is though the one eternal gospel, um, right, that uh, that Luther and the Reformation um, sought to reclaim, sought to proclaim boldly and clearly with all its saving power and purity. Um, and, and so it's for that reason that this uh, the, these two verses were chosen in the midst of it. Uh, you, you could you could have the whole uh, message uh, because I think there's kind of one central message and theme, um, two verses six to thirteen. Uh, but with for, with just those first two verses, you still get that idea that that there's this one gospel that is proclaimed for all people, um, and and it's 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 the gospel of the Reformation, uh, the gospel of Luther and the reformers, and we today still hope to cling to uh, by faith in Jesus. And I think, and, and my memory escapes me as to exactly who this was, but I think somewhere historically, Lutherans have identified Luther as this angel. Now, I don't, I don't know that he would be the only example of it, but I suppose within the scope of, of church history, he would be one example of a messenger who does proclaim the eternal gospel in a very broad way. And so I, I think maybe that's another reason it gets chosen on the Reformation. But you're right, you kind of lose that context, but there, it fits, it fits. Have you ever preached on it for the Reformation? I can't remember um, if I have or not, um, and not, not that sticks out to my mind. <laughs> so, um, but I think, <laughs> I think I might know, have I once. If, yeah, I think if I did again, you'd have to take that tactic of yeah, it's you know, uh, Luther is not you know, this is not a one to one correlation, and yet Luther and the reformers and and all right, but all who uh, seek to proclaim uh, this one gospel uh, kind of fit into the context and are are you know, pictured as as ones who who at least have the same message as as these angels. Um, is certainly that first angel that we we meet here in this text. Yeah, we've we've warned at various places along in this study that we want to avoid newspaper exegesis when it comes to the book of Revelation, that we want to be careful about looking at current events and saying that's exactly what's being talked about. At the same time, I do think it is right that we do see how the things that are told us in in Revelation do play out in world history. And so I, I think to identify Luther here is is not wrong, but it's not the only thing we're going to see as we read Revelation 14. So Let's take a look at this text. This is Revelation 14, beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 14, verses 6 to 13. So, Pastor Rock, we meet three angels, I think three. I don't know if I missed one or not. There's at least three. We see a lot of angels in the book of Revelation. Talk to us about the first one that we see here. 
Yeah, the first one here, right, is, is even introduced as another angel. Um, and it just, I think it's just a reminder that, as you said, there, there have been other angels and this is a separate and distinct one uh, so that we're not trying to make connections to one of the other previous angels um, that we've seen. Uh, but as with all angels, um, you know, the messenger aspect, right? The word for angel is also a word for messenger. And so the, the message that these angels had to proclaim is is the point um, of their appearances. We don't need to worry about the, you know, what they look like or I'm not, not even too much, you know, where they're located or anything like that, other than knowing they come from heaven. Uh, and uh, so they're messengers of God um, and with a message to proclaim uh, for for us uh, in in God's word here uh, through through the Apostle John. And uh, um, so that's that's what we see with these angels, that the, the message is the key, uh, that their role as messengers um, bringing God's word uh, to us uh, is the key the key point here. Now, of the three, the first one, I think, is the only one that's described as to, like, where he is. So the first one is flying directly overhead. Why is that significant of where he's coming from? Yeah, we see this this language uh, a couple times uh, else in Revelation, in, in chapter 8, the, the eagle who declares the, the woe that's about to come with the trumpets of, of angels 5 through 7, uh, of, of those those sets of angels. Um, he's flying uh, um, overhead, or the kind of the Greek literally is in, in mid-heaven, um, with, with these woes that are about to come. And also then later later here in Revelation, in Revelation 19, um, an angel is calling to uh, uh, to the birds that, that fly in the mid-heavens, come gather for the great supper of God, and actually to feed on those who are defeated by Christ at his return. Um, in the great final battle and those who are defeated, uh, you know, just a picture of, of God's judgment on those who have not received Christ in faith. Uh, so again, right, this the, the location of this angel reflects that he and his message are from above, from heaven, from God. Uh, and, and to remember the context, right, this is this is in direct contrast to the dragon who has been thrown down out of heaven um, and the beasts who rise out of the sea and of the earth. They come from below. Uh, this heaven is coming uh, from above uh, with the message of God, a message of of judgment, of of uh, of decision, so to speak. Um, but it's also a reminder and a comfort for us as we hear of this eternal gospel and we hear the message of the of these angels, uh, right? That, uh, that the, the dragon and the beasts can't uh, can't reach him. Uh, they can't mm. uh, smother the great voice of the gospel because it's coming from above. It's coming from God. Um, it's out of the reach of those who would uh, who would seek to deceive us um, or even silence that message. Yeah, I, th I think that's really helpful because the when the dragon showed up in Revelation twelve, he was a, a it was a great sign in heaven. But then, as you said, he was cast down to the earth. And then when you look at how he, he uses the beast, the beast arise from the sea and from the land. Well, they don't have control of, of what's flying from heaven. And so, yeah, I, I like that. That's a, that's a great comfort that even in the midst of these attacks that are coming from the dragon and his two beasts, still this eternal gospel is being proclaimed that, as we've seen in the previous text, wins the victory and allows the saints to continue to sing the song that the Lord has, has put on their lips. So we've got this first angel who's flying directly overhead, and he's got this eternal gospel to proclaim that to those who dwell on the earth. Now, we talked a little bit about this already with, with Luther, but talk to us more generally. What's going on here with the eternal gospel? Right, and, and if it's going to be the gospel, it has to be an eternal gospel, uh, right? Because uh, Paul in Galatians 1 uh, reminds us that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
Uh, so there, there is only one gospel. Uh, there's not a different uh, good news for, for a different time or place or uh, you know, there may be different ways we, um, we approach uh, proclaiming that or, or need to speak directly to uh, the culture or people around us. But it is one good news for us of Christ crucified and risen again uh, for us and our salvation. Um, and it's right. There's the reminder here that it's for everyone. All right, all who are on earth, every tribe, every nation, every language, uh, every people. Um, and again, as Paul has has said, right, there there is no other gospel. If if it sounds like something different, <laughs> it's not from God, uh, because God has one gospel for one people um, in in Christ. Uh, to, I should say to bring bring everyone into one people in the church um, under Christ as as the head. Um, and so, so that's that's a key central feature of this as well. That uh, that it's one gospel; it's for everyone, um, and it is eternal from beginning to end. It's the same gospel uh, for for all. Now, as you said, angel means messenger. Each of these angels has a message, and the message of the first one is to proclaim with a loud voice, "Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come." And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, again, having heard this so many times in the context of the Reformation, when we're thinking we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and that's the gospel, here you hear the gospel is fear God. Now, how, how is this the gospel? Uh, the way I approach that is, is through Psalm 111, verse 10. All right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, all who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. All right, it's only through faith in Christ that we can and do rightly fear, and as we speak with the Catechism, right, fear and love and trust in God above all things and give Him glory I and mean, worship as our Creator and our Savior. Right, and these are the themes of the message of of verse seven. All right, to fear, glorify, and worship the true God is the true faith, and so that is the that is brought about by the gospel. And so to proclaim it and to proclaim this God in Christ is to proclaim. Uh, the gospel, fear of God, right, listen, you know, leads us to listen to his word, um, repent over sin in the face of judgment that is coming, on um, the judgment of condemnation, and to remain faithful and true to him. Um, it also reminds us, right, that the God is glorified um, truly only right now in the true and right worship of Jesus as Savior. And this is something Jesus constantly talks about, especially in the Gospel of John, about how his work um, and his purpose and his mission is ultimately to bring glory to the Father and that we glorify the Father, you know, through Him, through receiving Him, uh, through listening to Him in faith, uh, and following Him as His disciples. Mm, yeah, so I think the concept of the fear of God is huge in the Old Testament, and you brought out one of the key passages, and we do well to, to keep this in mind. The Catechism does help us, as you said, we, we talk about fearing and loving God, and we shouldn't run away from that term and think it's somehow antithetical to the gospel. So it's a very helpful explanation. I really like what you said about the glory, that Jesus is glorified in his death and his resurrection. There is his glory. We receive that in worship, and we give him glory in worship. Now, again, when we think about the gospel, we maybe don't always think about the hour of his judgment being a part of that, and yet it is a part of this message from the angel. So talk about the aspect of judgment and how that relates to this eternal gospel. Yeah, the hour of judgment, I, I think in a lot of ways, has been, at least in the context of Revelation, um, is, is what has been going on since the exaltation, the enthronement, the ascension, whatever we want to call it, of the incarnate Christ, um, as he is now sitting and reigning on his throne, right? Redemption is complete uh, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Um, so, so now is the hour of judgment, the dividing of people based on, on faith or unbelief, uh, right? It's not set in stone for us until our death or until the return of Christ, uh, whichever happens first, all uh, right? To, during this life, we have the chance to, to repent, to receive the good news in faith uh, if, we're, if we're unbelievers. Uh, but the dividing is going on you know, already even now um, until, until the return of Christ. Um, and so, right, the, the judgment is either to condemnation or, right, the judgment of, you know, reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness, justification um, in, in Christ by our Heavenly Father. Uh, so right, we hear the term judgment in Scripture, and I think we only think of the judgment of condemnation, but judgment is um, you know, just the declaration uh, from the judge, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, whether we're justified um, or we are uh, condemned. And so uh, the hour of judgment is that hour of God's decision, and uh, that happens for us in Christ, and that, that redemption, again, is completed. Uh, and so this, this ongoing eternal gospel and call to fear God, give him glory, receive Christ in faith, um, and, and worship God in in faith. Um, that's going out constantly because that's the that's that's the judgment line. That's the dividing line uh, of of all of history. And see, there's your Reformation connection again, because judgment, justification, as, as you rightly connect those things, there. How how is it that we stand on this judgment day? Well, it is by faith in Christ. And, and so there, yeah, man, I might I might use that this this Reformation when we get there. Maybe I'll that'll be my handle. I, I like it. I like it. Now, looking at the the context again here in in Revelation, how does the message of this first angel fit into what we've seen from especially the first and second beasts? Yeah, it's a direct contrast, isn't it, uh, to what they would have us do and what uh, um, the beast from the earth, the, the second beast, compels towards the first beast, right? Revelation thirteen twelve said, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. Uh, you know, who, who are we worshiping, right? We're either worshiping the one true God uh, through faith in Christ, or the alternative is whatever the other you know God uh, you know whether that's a stone statue or uh, you know the things that we uh, make of gods in our hearts we're worshiping something else that is not God uh, which is an idol which is a false god and thus is a false worship because it's the worship of the creature rather than the creator um, you know as Romans one reminds us right God gives God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator uh, who is blessed forever. So we're, again, we're either worshiping him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, or we're worshiping something or someone else. And that's idolatry, false belief, uh, which leads to the judgments of condemnation. So thinking about this first angel, and as we've already said, this is used on Reformation. There have been those within church history that have identified Luther as this angel. I don't think he's the only one in view here. Uh, where where do we see this at work within the, the history of the world and history of the church? This angel who's proclaiming the eternal gospel. Yeah, I think it's you know it dovetails with the final parts of the creed, but the, especially the second and third articles uh, of Christ's uh, you know, judging the living and the dead, his ascended reign um, in heaven, um, and also um, again ultimately finally fulfilled in uh, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. 
uh, that, that this is the final hope of our faith. Christ's return to work the final deliverance from the dragon, from sin, death, and all that goes with them from the work of the beast, um, and ultimately deliver us, you know, even from our own false worship, from the, the, the sin of our hearts, uh, so that we worship and glorify God uh, forever with Christ. And, you know, there's beautiful pictures of that in the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, it, it's only by receiving the message of this angel um, in faith that we, uh, that we come to that, uh, to that place. And so, I mean, I, I think maybe any time a, a pastor faithfully proclaims the gospel, we're seeing the work of this first angel taking place. You know, Luther's in a great example, but it's happening every time a pastor or a Christian faithfully t speaks of Christ and, and calls people to repentance and faith in Him. We're seeing this at work, which again, and I, I really appreciate the way you put it in context, stands in contrast to what was happening, especially with that second beast. And I think fills the Christian church with great hope. You know, we've, you've got these two fantastic looking beasts who've come out and are, are drawing many of the earth to worship the dragon ultimately. What chance do we have? Well, we have this message from above that is the eternal gospel that is effective. It does what it says. And we've seen a picture of that in the 144,000 already. So now, I mean, we're given strength, I think, to go and proclaim that gospel. And I, again, I, I think that does fit very well with what happens in the Reformation and for the Church today that shares in that heritage to proclaim that truth of Christ crucified as our one and only Savior. So we've got the, the first angel there in verses 6 and 7. Another angel shows up, a second one, in verse 8. Just give us kind of a summary. What are we going to see from this angel? And then we'll dig into some details. Yeah, so although the gospel has gone out to all nations and all peoples, right, there are still those who, who reject it, uh, nations and people, you know, who by and large follow the wickedness, idolatry, morality, uh, things that the, the beasts and the dragon uh, would lead us towards. So they look, you know, look good and look uh, pleasing and look helpful, right, they ultimately lead us, um, you know, away from God and the way he has uh, made things to be. Um, and so we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to see them at work and kind of see the result of, of what comes about from, you know, from those who follow them. So the message of the second angel says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual morality. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Babylon. I don't know that we've heard about Babylon in the book of Revelation yet. Yeah, I think this is the first time it uh, it shows up uh, in the book of Revelation, and it kind of out of the blue um, in some ways. Uh, but there's, you know, even in the Old Testament when Babylon, right, was the historical place and, and figure, um, even then, because of just the, the way that, uh, that they decimated um, Israel and, and Judah and, and Jerusalem, uh, it became very quickly kind of a, a symbol or, or a picture of and paradigm of wickedness and idolatry and sheer cruelty, and it quickly becomes a sort of type for the, the enemies of God, uh, the, the anti-God the anti forces at work uh, in this world. Uh, so to speak, and as we as we look at this this text, and we think about you know what the the kind of uh, the, the the heart of what Babylon is you know becomes right. It talks about the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and certainly right to you know any immorality um, flows from and uh, is connected to to idolatry. But if we think about the Old Testament context, uh, we especially understand this uh, in terms of the, some of the language of idolatry of the Old Testament is that of sexual immorality, or right, the old King James, I think, of whoring um, after false gods, worshiping, and for the context of Revelation, worshiping the blasphemous beast uh, is unfaithfulness to God and, and idolatry. And so this ultimately is what, what Babylon is all about, whether we see that in 
you know, perhaps, you know, in the context of Revelations times, uh, Rome, um, those days, but, but anytime we see, uh, again, especially official forces and, um, you know, nations and powerful uh, people and, and uh, um, movements in the world uh, that, that are kind of directly opposed to God. So, I mean, with, with Babylon especially, I think you see both the political aspect and the religious aspect that we talked a little bit about with both of the, the beasts that are there in Revelation 13, that the first one seems to be re- representative of the political forces that would set themselves against the Lord and his word. And then the second beast would be the religious forces you know, that uphold that sort of power. And it does seem like Babylon, particularly in the Old Testament, and then you know, as, as it starts to stand for Rome here in John's context, but Babylon really encapsulates both of those things, both the political power and the religious power that, that stand against the Lord and his people. So talk to us about some of that Old Testament context where we see that from Babylon and how the Lord's prophets respond to that. Yeah, so especially in Isaiah, uh, we we get this picture of Babylon, you know, seeming right, seeming great and powerful, and in the context of especially the Old Testament, but I think it's probably probably carries through to, to in, in a large part even into the New Testament context. This idea that the the, uh, the the victor on the political earthly realm is kind of reflective of you know their their gods or their their gods have won the divine spiritual battle, so to speak. Um, and so if Babylon is there conquering uh, Judah, Jerusalem, destroying the temple of, of the Lord, um, then then they have won, and their gods have won. Uh, but Isaiah, right, especially in, in chapters 40 to 55, is expounding on the greatness uh, and the covenant faithfulness of the Lord, Yahweh. Um, that He's saying, no, he is the creator of heaven and earth. He's not about to be beaten by uh, the puny fake gods of Babylon, despite what the outward appearances are. He will rescue, he will um, reestablish his covenant, he will um, renew his, uh, his creation. Uh, because around kind of the servant songs in that section of Isaiah, um, our oracles of doom on Babylon, uh, remind, saying because of this servant who is coming, because of the promise of God's God's work, uh, don't think that you know your God has somehow been been defeated uh, uh, for good. He He will come. He will restore. He will um, rescue you. Um, and though though she made captives, and, and there's there's some context in Isaiah, though she made captives drink wrath. God will give that cup to Babylon instead, and there's there's this connection here with what's going on to the second and third angels uh, with the, with the cup of God's wrath and giving that cup actually then to uh, to Babylon, the one who brought about God's wrath. Right, the, the exile was God's wrath and judgment on on unbelieving, faithless Israel at the time. Uh, but God says, "I'll turn that around on Babylon herself uh, when the time is right." Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Revelation 14 this morning with Pastor Joel Hawk. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 13th. We're studying Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 13 with Pastor Joel Hawk. He serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Fraser, Michigan. Pastor Hawk, prior to the break, we were talking about the message of the second angel who says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. You were talking about how this is something we see in the Old Testament, that Babylon does make the nations drink the cup, but then the Lord turns that cup around and gives it back to Babylon. Talk a little bit more about where we see that and what that means in the Old Testament. Yeah, one of the texts we see how this brought out in is Isaiah 51, verses 22 and 23, where Isaiah says, Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleased the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand, and there he's speaking to, to Israel. Um, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. Right? Even when uh, Babylon and others uh, attacked Judah and took them into exile, right? this was really God's work of wrath and judgment on on, on them uh, for their faithlessness and idolatry. But now God says, I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. God will, God will give the, the bowl of his wrath to those who oppressed and tormented uh, his people. Even though they were his agents of his judgment, um, the time will come when he will judge them uh, because of their own pride, because of their own idolatry. Uh, because, uh, and Isaiah and the other prophets bring this out, because you know Babylon and, and others said, you know, you know, look at us, we're so great, and, and how powerful we are on our own. They didn't realize, you know, that they were merely God's instruments of, of wrath and judgment, and, and you know, God's, um, at God's work in the world, um, he would give them uh, that. And so, right, this understanding that the oppressors will fall victim to the systems they devise, uh, there's this idea that, uh, uh, at least in the end, right, evil brings its own reward. Uh, that those who remain in pride and idolatry, even if they're used by God in certain ways and contexts and times, uh, will fall. Uh, and that's the that's the promise here of this angel uh, or of the, of the next angel or of this angel. Fallen, fallen is Babylon uh, the great. Um, the good news of the gospel, um, you know, in, in the final work of Christ and the final judgment of God, all this work will be undone. Um, and and the, the forces of the world that seem to oppose God and sometimes even seem greater and stronger than God, uh, will be shown to be powerless compared uh, to to him because, as the first angel declared, right, he is the maker of, of heaven and earth. Yeah, that's right. And Babylon does really stand for that. That I mean, it's the best example in the Old Testament that you can think for that kind of work of God, how he does take Babylon in his hand and use them as a tool for judgment of his own people. But when their pride grows, he judges them too, and they receive that that judgment that belongs to the enemies of the people of God. In the context of John and Revelation, you know, when you've got Rome there who's saying, worship Caesar, say that Caesar is Lord, holding all political and that religious power, Babylon is, is going to be a very fit comparison for Jesus to show John in this, in this Revelation and for John then to write down and proclaim for the hope of the Church that even this great empire, who seems to hold all power, religious and political, that empire is fallen, and that is good news for the church, that these, these beasts that, that seem to be wielding all power are in fact fallen. They will meet their end. And who stands? It is the 144,000 with the Lamb there on Mount Zion. So there's the, the second angel. Now, I think closely related, the third angel has a, a similar message. Uh, perhaps maybe the second angel is the, the message of the fall of the empire, and then the third angel deals, it seems, more with individuals within that. So talk to us about what happens with the third angel and his message. Yeah, I think to, to introduce that is the, the reminder that yeah, we have these yeah, great kind of 
impersonal forces at work in in empire in culture in in the world so to speak uh but the the gospel goes out too but also god's judgment goes out to individuals within that and just because uh you're you're part and parcel of that at a time does not mean you can't receive the gospel in faith uh, but it also means that you can't also claim well i was just kind of caught up in things <laughs> and uh and and you know should have a free pass uh, for it no the, the the judgment is is individual it comes upon um each person individually and so this is the, the kind of the negative side this is the warning for those who won't repent and fear god and give him glory it's the reminder that you're either worshiping god or worshiping uh, the beast, um, and that drinking the wine of the passion of Babylon's sexual immorality will, in the end, lead to drinking the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength um, into the cup of His anger, um, not not diluted with mercy or grace, um, but uh, but full strength wrath, um, in the end, uh, will be will be ours. It's not a it's not a you know thing we're used to, to speaking or thinking about, and it's uh, it's certainly. Uh, um, heavy law, uh, but it's law that is meant to lead to uh, to repentance, to recognizing um, God's wrath and anger, um, and and turning to faith in this eternal gospel. Mm, yeah, so very much connected to what we read in the previous message from the second angel. This fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She was making nations drink the wine. Now those who have listened and followed in the worship of the the beast and its image and have the mark, they now will drink this cup of wrath in God's hand, as you said full strength, down to the dregs, then that person will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The picture does not get any prettier. No, no, it doesn't. And it's, you know, the, the, the language here and imagery is what, you know, also dovetails with what God poured down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, again, a heavy picture of God's judgment and wrath on on the sinfulness of humanity. Um, in, in idolatry and and certainly uh, you know actual sexual immorality uh, upon upon the earth uh, it's also interesting and, and maybe kind of jars us for a little bit that this happens in the presence of the holy angels and in the in the presence of the lamb um, but right there's a there's an understanding here that that holiness agrees with this perfect justice uh, of God's judgment of condemnation that those who reject uh, those who reject God um, see see this as a necessary part of that that justice and, and ultimately his putting down of of evil um, is to uh, do away with the forces of sin and death and um, because he's a holy God as well. Um, and in fact, John five uh, points us to the fact that because he is the redeemer in one sense, uh, Christ oversees the judgment. Um, that uh, that all judgment is given to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Uh, and so we don't think of Christ as judge, and and right to, if, if Christ is judge, you know, too strong. This led to this a lot of the problems that Luther was uh, dealing with in the Reformation. Uh, but we need to to hold that up still that that Christ is judge, uh, that he is you know because in him is the judgment again either of justification through faith in his death and resurrection, um, or judgment to condemnation in in rejecting him. Yeah, I think it is the fact that the. This is happening in the presence of the Lamb. That's the most striking to me. I, I have to hear it's in the presence of the holy angels. I, I guess is that that one makes sense. And and you know what you're saying from John five and thinking in other places, Jesus is the one to oversee judgment. So that doesn't surprise me either. But this very much sounds like a picture of hell. And to think yes. about that happening in the presence of of Jesus is what is perhaps not as common in our minds when we picture hell. Especially you know verse eleven. You've got the smoke going up forever and ever no rest day or night for these people. This is just an awful picture, and to, to see it happening in the presence of the Lamb is a, is a bit jarring. 
Yeah, but it's a reminder for us that uh, I think as well that that you know, Jesus, the Lamb, you know, is God, and God is in control of all things, and it's it's His judgment uh, upon unbelief uh, um, that uh, that brings this this about. Uh, but we're right, you know, we're right to cling to Christ as our Savior. We're right to uh, uh, to see Him as as the picture of of love and hope and and joy for us because because He is that. Uh, and it's it's only when people reject that or have not received that uh, in that message in faith um, that this that this judgment comes. Yeah. Uh, and again, whatever whatever the torment is exactly like here in hell, right? It is eternal. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this this may be um, you know some some picture language uh, for us. Uh, but but again, if it's all, the actual language was was used, uh, it would probably be even actually worse. <laughs> uh, no mind, you know, no no human mind understands exactly what uh, what hell is is like forever. Um, nor nor indeed heaven um, and that's that's the glorious thing that uh, that i like to remind people that ha whatever your conception of heaven through the beautiful pictures that scripture gives us it'll probably be a million times better yeah. <laughs> so so hold on to that hope um, hold on to that joy um, that is our is in christ and that's the final message of this angel right is that the call for the endurance of the saints uh, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus, um, who cling tightly uh, to Him. That's, that's what this is driving at. Uh, the pictures of judgment are always wanting us to cling to our salvation that more firmly uh, because uh, because that's where our hope uh, is found. Yeah, I mean, to to what you were saying about the, the nature of eternal life and how it's going to be even better than what's described, and then on the flip side, how this is going to be even worse than what's described, I think that the similarity there is is what makes it eternal life or eternal death, and it, it actually, what makes eternal life, eternal life, is the presence of God with you right there. And so then on the flip side, and I think that's the, the point of maybe the, the lamb being present here, what makes it eternal death is that you know that, you, that the lamb's right there and, and you've rejected him and you know it. And that's what really yeah. makes it hell. But as you said, that, that call of the angel in verse 12, and combined with the fact that what's coming after this in Revelation is this eternal, you know, the harvest at the last day. I do think that that provides at least a glimmer of hope here, certainly for the saints, and even for, for those who are not saints at this point, that we're not yet at that final harvest. And as long as these angels are proclaiming this message, there is yet hope for repentance. The Lord is not sending these angels to just proclaim the judgment because he, he wants to send people to hell. He's proclaiming this message through the angels because he wants to deliver people from this judgment, and he's done that in his, his son Christ. So I think that just the—again, I know we've got to be careful with chronology and revelation, but it does seem to me that this is meant to happen before the final harvest, and that's part of the point. Yeah, I think so too, and that, that's why it, you know it's that 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 verse twelve there, that call for endurance. Uh, we you know when when the end comes, we don't need to endure anymore, for we will have received the reward. Uh, but we're called to endure uh, in this time as these angels are proclaiming, um, as the law and gospel is being proclaimed, and that's why there's such a um, a hope and a joy and a strict charge to 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 deal with those rightly, so that people can rightly be warned of their sin, be warned of this judgment, um, and receive the true hope that is theirs only in clinging. Uh, to Christ as their Savior and and rejecting uh, um, other idolatry um, in, in their lives, uh, right? The constant battle that that we have even within us uh, between sin and idolatry and clinging to faith in Christ, um, and, and that reminder that it's it's you know Christ's power and Christ's grace um, and his his declaration of even our kind of sometimes wavering faith that is that is the key. 
So with verse 12, this call for the endurance of the saints, I think you, I'm curious as to, to what you think, who says this? In the, in the ESV, it, there's no quotation marks, which I guess the editors think that it's not the third angel, but it's not yet the next voice. It, I think you said it's the angel. Is, I don't know if it, if it matters, but how, who, who says this? It probably doesn't matter um, so much, uh, but uh, but I think you know, with these messages coming uh, from the angels, uh, I see it as uh, as the corollary with that with that third angel, um, you know, pointing out, hey, here's here's my message, um, and, and here's the point of my message for you who are going to to hear this, um, endure, keep the commandments, uh, right? The first of which is to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, which points us to uh, to keeping the faith. Um, so, so I, I go and there's a lot of commentators that, and even the the current uh, Greek version um, points it to, as a quote of the third angel um, as the call to keep the faith, uh, both the doctrine which comes from Jesus, uh, but also he who is faithful in keeping God's promises and fulfilling uh, the mission he was given to uh, to keep us in our faith, to keep us in that which clings to him um, as our savior. Um, and so this this patient endurance that becomes the the mark of the saints and and a wisdom to to interpret these events in view of God's um, end time judgment. Um, this is the call of I, I believe of the angel. Um, either way, right? It's it's the gospel call and hearing the response. You know, hearing the law against Babylon's ways and where they lead, um, and enduring in in faith in Jesus. Uh, so so again, I, I I side with those who think uh, it's probably the third angel who's who's saying this, but I think the message uh, is the same. Sure. Yeah. And this is the message that John would have proclaimed to those hearing him there on Patmos and, and later when he, you know, he ministers in Ephesus, certainly, and, and pastors still today uh, preach that, that the saints should endure. And I think this is a good example of the purpose of Revelation right here in Revelation 14, verse 12. We heard something similar in Revelation 13, another call for endurance and faith in the saints. Very much the purpose of this book to the church waiting for the return of Christ. Now, our section today ends with one more verse. Before we get to that final harvest, there is another verse here in, in 13. John hears, now it's just a voice from heaven. So I, I said earlier, I'm not, I don't know if this is the voice of another angel. He's not identified as another angel or, or whose voice it might be. The, the editors of the ESV at least don't think it's the voice of Jesus because it's not in red. I don't know if you have any thoughts or, if, again, if it, if it matters too much. It's, it's a heavenly voice, so we're, we're hearing the word of the Lord. Uh, what what's going on here with this this last verse and now the voice that John hears? And again, yeah, where, wherever the voice is, although the second part, right, uh, blessed indeed, says the Spirit. So the, right. the second uh, the second part of this voice, or at least a response to this first voice, is the, the voice of the Spirit. Um, so the, this kind of double blessing that is pronounced upon uh, those who who hear this message and receive it in faith. Uh, uh, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord uh, from now on. Um, having, having endured as described in verse 12, and I think in terms of that endurance of the saints, uh, we think of the, like the Beatitudes of, of Matthew 5, uh, and especially I think of the context of Revelation and the hope of endurance in the midst of troubles and turmoils, um, especially related to our faith in Jesus. And I think of Jesus' words at the end of the Beatitudes there, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, you know, suffering at the hands of others uh, I mean, is not to surprise um, the Christian, uh, but we are, we are still blessed. 
uh, because we have the Lord uh, as we endure in him, as we keep the commandments and, and have keep our faith in Jesus, uh, clinging to him. Uh, then we have the blessing and we have all that matters. Uh, Luther put it this way, and actually one of the places he, he actually quoted uh, Revelation 14, 13 here. He says, Christ is nothing other than sheer life, as his saints are likewise. And the more profoundly you impress that image upon your heart and gaze upon it, the more the image of death will pale and vanish of itself without struggle or battle. Thus your heart will be at peace and you will be able to die calmly in Christ and with Christ, as we read in Revelation 14, 13, blessed are they who die in the Lord. Uh, so the op this is the opposite of the fate of Babylon and her ch children. Right? There's eternal torment uh, versus those who die in the Lord. Uh, those who die of, of and in Babylon, right, have no rest, verse 11 says. Um, and here, right, the Spirit responds, blessed are indeed that they may rest from their labors. Those that die in the Lord have rest um, and peace in, in Christ. Yeah, and I think that's just seeing that contrast between what the third angel says and now this voice from heaven says is, is a good reason to keep verse 12 as a quote from the angel, that you see that contrast all the more directly, that those who have, have died in the beast, they receive the torment. Those who have died in the Lord receive rest from their labors. Their death is actually blessedness, which is a, a striking thing to think about death as a, a blessedness. On the one hand, death is an enemy, but because we die in the Lord, now the Lord sees that as as blessed. This I I think I've mentioned this other at other points in this study in Revelation or in other studies here on Sharper Iron. Now, this is, I think, like the New Testament counterpart of that Old Testament verse, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Here you have blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yeah, uh, be, because we have this promise of our good shepherd, right? That nothing can snatch us out of out of the hand of Christ, and so and that death brings us, you know, from this uh, from this veil of tears that is described so uh, you know so clearly in Revelation, uh, all the horror and and tearfulness of this life. Uh, that again, even though death has a is a final uh, enemy to defeat it, even our Lord has turned that uh, on its head, so to speak. Uh, and so that for for us as his people, um, it becomes uh, our our opportunity to to be in his nearer presence and to rest uh, from this uh, this troubled life uh, you know, with him in heaven uh, until he brings uh, brings a new creation. You know, brings to my mind uh, Romans Romans eight, uh, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangers or sword? You know, no. In, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Uh, through him who loved us, you know, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and so, as we as we cling to that, as He uh, brings this gospel uh, to to our lives daily through and through the the reception of His Word and sacraments uh, throughout our life, the, the blessing that He gives us in, in that uh, carries with us uh, uh, through 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 death unto eternal life. Yeah, as you said, this is a double blessing. There's there's two beatitudes here: the voice that tells John to write, "Blessed are the dead," and then the voice of the Spirit that responds, "Blessed indeed." And the the blessing given from the Spirit is first that they would rest from their labors. And you already pointed out that this stands in contrast to the lack of rest for those talked about by the third angel. What does that mean that the saints rest from their labors in death? Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple of things uh, that are going on here, uh, right? As Hebrews 4 reminds us, right, there, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
Um, we want to strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by by disobedience. Uh, when we uh, when we rest in Christ, right? This was the purpose of Sabbath. It's the purpose of of worship and receiving God's word and sacrament. Um, the reminder that God is in control. The reminder that He is the giver of of gifts. Uh, that He is the Creator, and that we are to to worship Him and receive Him. And so the, the our our eternal rest is our eternal um, remembrance of that, so to speak, um, is our our rejoicing in God as our Savior, Creator, um, and Lord, uh, the one who provides for all our needs of of body and soul. Uh, so, so there's there's that aspect to rest, and then it's also a final fulfillment of Jesus' words in Matthew 11: "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Uh, it's resting in Jesus and and just receiving receiving His mercy and grace uh, for us, um, and receiving the the life that He has for us, uh, not uh, not striving on our own, uh, but uh, but receiving the life of Christ um, in us and for us. Yeah, this this language of rest in death is one of those places in the scriptures where we receive one of the great comforts when a Christian dies. It's to, to know that death for the Christian is a rest, a rest from labors. Those those toils that we have, have done here on earth, they are they are ended. We rest in Christ perfectly. It's it's one of those again places in scripture where we look for great comfort upon the death of a loved one who's a Christian. Now, the other part of the blessing that the Spirit speaks is not only that they rest from their labors, but the Spirit also says their deeds follow them. Now, this is perhaps a little bit more intriguing and confusing. What does it mean that the deeds of the saints follow them? Yeah, we don't uh, think and talk like this uh, as Lutherans, and rightly so, so often uh, reminding ourselves that we're saved by grace through faith, apart from works of the law, apart from deeds. Uh, And yet throughout Scripture, there's this picture or, or reminder that, right, in Christ and in faith, we we do do good works. Uh, we are about the life of love that Christ and His Spirit uh, work in us. Uh, we always remember that they're from Him and through Him and in Him. They're uh, they're not things to take pride in and to kind of hold up to our, you know others or or God of our own and say, hey, look at us. Uh, but there are things that bring bring us joy, bring um, bring you know good things to our neighbors um, who are the ones who need our work, but also. Uh, scriptures do say here in a couple of places that, that God remembers them and that they, you know, mysteriously somehow, we don't know exactly what this picture is like, carry carry through because they're done in Christ and, and that's the things of Christ that, that continue. Um, I also think of, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, the end of that great resurrection chapter uh, speaks in this way, right? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then kind of the call and wrap up there for, for the Apostle Paul is, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, that the things we do in the Lord and, and for the Lord um, you know, aren't in vain. Um, here they, they, they carry with us and follow us as uh, kind of evidences of our faith, as the things that Christ and His Spirit worked in us and, and through us. Um, you know, second you know, Ephesians two ten comes to mind, right? The, the things that, that God prepared beforehand for us to, to walk in as well. Um, Again, what what that exactly means or looks like into eternity, uh, we don't know. You know. We do know it won't be something of, of pride. You know, <laughs> We won't have sinful pride about them. Uh, we won't be kind of a, hey, look at me attitude. If anything, we and others will just glorify God, I think, because of uh, uh, we'll see the, the work that he did in and through us, oftentimes in spite of us, and we'll rejoice to see what uh, what our work here does, and I, th- I think that's a, a hope for us as well. That as we remain faithful and constant in our in living our life of faith and seeking to follow God's will um, in our lives, 
that even if we don't see the results here in this life or see what the, the impact, so to speak, might have been, God promises there there is something he is at work in our lives um, that we may not see here that, that maybe will get revealed to us there. Um, again, not, not for a, not a prideful way, but in a, a way that just opens our eyes and the eyes of others to the wonder of, of his work that was far greater than we could have ever you know hoped or imagined. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the 1 Corinthians 15 passage as the way that this now encourages us toward these good works now, which sometimes do seem like they are in vain. The Lord promises they are not in Him. And and yeah, whatever that means on the last day, it, it's not a source of pride. I think a, maybe a, an example of that is in Matthew 25, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And when He, he talks to the sheep, He does, He points out their works, but, but their reaction is, well, well, Lord, when, when did we do that? They, they don't remember that. They're not taking pride in those works, but but the Lord has seen them. The Lord knows them, and those works are not in vain. And, and so, yeah, exactly how that works out, I think those are a couple of good places for us to, to keep in mind for the purpose of being encouraged in that endurance and in those good works right now. Got about two minutes here on the morning, Pastor Hawk. Help us to wrap things up on this section of, of Revelation 14. Remind us of both of the warning and the comfort that's here for us. Yeah, so the warning, right, that there's this this evil that's out there, and it, it, it's deeply seductive, and, and there is a temptation uh, towards it, uh, right? It's not always clear-cut in our, our minds and our hearts, perhaps, and, and we know the nature of sin and evil even within us that, that makes Babylon and the things of it uh, tempting. Uh, so there's, But there's the warning here, right? Do not follow because Babylon, you know, in fact, in Christ's death and resurrection is fallen um, and certainly will fall, and that, that judgment will be uh, finalized at the end in in Christ's return. And so, um, you know, John, as he receives this revelation and, and, and proclaims it and, and writes it down for us, um, and Christ himself, why wants to prevent us from being sucked into um, that cup of God's wrath and from drinking from the cup of God's wrath, because Christ has already drunk the cup of God's wrath on the cross for us. And that's, that's the hope, and that's the good news here, that um, that as we remain steadfast in our faith, as we fear God and give Him glory and, and worship Him alone as as God, our Creator and Redeemer, um, you know He will sort everything out in Christ. Uh, he will um, do away with all of sin and death and its effects uh, in the world. Um, his judgment will be just and and complete. Um, and that, that brings us hope, but but it also leads us to to call out with that first angel, um, you know towards the repentance and faith of all people, remembering that this gospel is for all people and that God wants all to be saved. God wants all to um, flee from from Babylon and come under his gracious um, reign and rule. Um, and so, uh, but as we live in this this world of, of torment, of hardship, of pain, of not seeing the result of works, of seeing you know, the, the wicked exalted and the righteous suffer sometimes, um, it's that call to patient, faithful endurance, uh, knowing that death has been defeated uh, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is now um, blessing uh, for us in God, in Christ. Our labors are not in vain. Um, as we worship and receive Christ in faith, um, you know, we, we have this hope of eternal, uh, eternal life in his name. Pastor Joel Hawk serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Fraser, Michigan. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 13. Pastor Hawk, thanks for being our guest today. And great to be with you again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this part of Revelation 14, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.